Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that the concave glass surface of a 37-story skyscraper in London has actually melted the side mirrors of a Jaguar parked on the street below it just from creating like a magnifying glass effect. Apparently, the way we teach Boy Scouts to fry an egg on the sidewalk works when you're building buildings. And this only happens a few times each year. And for some reason, I guess it always does it to Jaguars because it's London and they're from London. Anyway, <laughs> kind of cool that buildings are cooking cars. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest, and by the way, I should intro the show. This is Bulletproof Executive Radio. I'm Dave Asprey. But the cool thing here is today's guest is Dan Hurley. Dan has the distinction of being called a slow learner in third grade because he didn't know how to read. <laughs> However, he is now someone who was taught by Spider-Man comics how to read and was published in the National Examiner. Dan, I, I did some really, you know, I dug some real dirt up on you. Your first article was actually, I was attacked by Killer Bigfoot. Is this true? 
Um, that was my third article. <laughs> my, my first article, uh, well, for a national publication. Uh, yeah, you know, it was back in 1970. It was back in 1980. And I was trying to figure out how to get started writing for national publications. And I was living in St. Louis working as an editor. And, you know, it was the old do what you can with what you have where you are. And I heard some crazy local news reports and started pitching those stories to, you know, the the, the supermarket newspaper. So, so you could break into the business. Well, you've come a long way. That was my start. <laughs> if you look at, at the real reason you're on the show here is obviously not Bigfoot. It's because you just wrote Smarter, the new science of building brain power. Yes. So you've also been on Dr. Oz and NPR and CBS and and you've increased your own fluid fluid intelligence by 16% and you've written for neurology today. So you're pretty much someone who's up to speed on how this stuff works. I think so. <laughs> I hope so. Now, let's jump right into it for people who are lots of them are driving today. What what is fluid intelligence? How do you measure it? Okay. So, uh when people talk about smarts, uh, oftentimes it's about knowledge and information that we know. Uh, which, uh, but the question is, how do you get that knowledge and information? So one way is through hard work. But when everyone sits in class for the exact same amount of time, and if they all study for the exact same amount of time, they don't all get the same grades. They don't all learn as well. And that ability to learn, to understand things, to follow a conversation, to see into, into a matter is fluid intelligence. And this is the, you know, the big thing that uh, separates, you know, that, that crazy math genius from the guy who's smashing you know, big rocks into little rocks. <laughs> that is, and so that's the measure of fluid intelligence, like how quickly you can, uh, how quickly you can absorb new information or how quickly you can work yeah. with it. Okay. Yes. And, and uh, see to the heart of it. It's, it's, you know, it's tested by psychologists through various basic, you know, paper and pencil tests, but it's important to keep in mind that its usefulness is not some geeky-headed, uh, silly thing. It's the reason that, you know, when you think of, well, how did Jeff Bezos see what was coming with books online and building a business? How did he get that ability to penetrate all the facts that all of us see and 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 see the forest through the trees and that kind of ability is is a really precious commodity in in business and in all facets of life it's uh, it's something that's incredible especially because you were able to change your fluid intelligence how well, did you do that so um until 6 years ago psychologists uh who study intelligence all agreed that you cannot increase fluid intelligence. They had been uh, trying for a hundred years. They had done study after study after study. You know, we've all heard of uh, preschool as a way to help people. And uh, here in New, uh, in New York, 
uh, Bill de Blasio, the new mayor, wants universal preschool. So universal preschool is great. It helps a lot of things. But one thing it does not seem to really help is it doesn't seem to raise your intelligence. It doesn't raise your IQ score by much. Uh, even though you've got that whole extra year of learning and getting prepared, uh, somehow that doesn't seem to translate. Uh, and they've looked at all kinds of other things. So six years ago, this study came out in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they did a what's called a working memory uh, practice. Yep. So people, uh, working memory is something that is very closely related to fluid intelligence. It's not mm -hmm. quite the exact same thing. It's usually tested in these little two-minute tasks that seem... Uh, a psychologist, uh, one guy calls them these dippy little tasks that seem really pointless but turn out to be really predictive of all sorts of other things. So instead of just taking it as a test to see how good you are, they had people practice at this thing. And after five weeks of a half hour a day of practicing, uh, the people's fluid intelligence increased on average by 40%, which is really was a wild finding. And this was what kind of, what kind of work was causing that? Uh, so it was, uh, it, it's a working memory task called the NBAC. If you go on a site <laughs> yeah. called soakyourhead.com, mm -hmm. it's there for free and you can do it. It's so hard it makes you want to throw your computer across the room. It's extremely demanding. It's you're you're seeing like a um, uh, imagine a tic tac toe board, and different items, different ones of the squares are lighting up. So this one lights up, that one lights up, this one lights up, that one lights up, and you're being asked first to remember to press a button every time the same one that lit up two times ago lights up again that's two back then if you master that and that's pretty easy remembering which one was two times ago yep. but then you get to three back and you're constantly having to keep track of three you know like it was it was here it was there it was there okay now it was here it was there it was there then it and it just keeps shifting back and forth and you're like ah I can't follow it <laughs> and this ability to concentrate and zoom in turned out to be super useful and there've been now dozens and dozens of studies that have found that doing this work these various working memory tasks seem to increase either they increase just working memory which is really really useful uh, they've increased all kinds of skills from uh, reading comprehension, uh, math ability, um, everything really. It's it's quite an extraordinary uh, thing, and uh, you know the field of intelligence research has really caught fire ever since that study came out. It it's funny that you mentioned that. I've been doing a dual and back training with. My there you executive go. coaching clients for about three years. It's uh, something I, I wrote about on the slide a while back. 
how far are you up? Uh, how far along are you? Well, I haven't done my own training in a while because, like you said, it, it's mentally painful. So yeah, I, 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 I was. I got up to five back. Yeah, I got up to five back. Also, I, I, I've seen studies that say it's stable even ten years later. You probably saw that study. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what's crazy is when I go on, I haven't done it uh, like I did it very regularly mm-hmm. for three and a half months. That's a long. And I got time. up to. I did it. I did it like. 55 times uh, over those three and a half months. So I was, you know, doing it like close to five days a week. Uh, I, uh, uh, now when I do it a year later, I'm right back up to five back very quickly. It's very, it's strange. It's like riding a bike or something. Those are the words that I was thinking was, it is like riding a bike. I'll have to go back and see if I can still do five. I, I hit five a few times. I wouldn't say I was that reliable on it. Four was doable. Uh, four was doable. Yeah. I would get up to five and fall back to four. I would get up to five and fall back to four. <laughs> uh, okay, so we were in the same zone. There. Yes. Right, now yes. Here, here's a question for you. Then you talk about sixteen percent improvement in fluid intelligence. Yep. Are you talking about IQ there or something else? So IQ is different than fluid intelligence. IQ most IQ tests include. All sorts of things that, uh, including uh, a crystallized knowledge, like um, yeah. I took an IQ test and it included all kinds of word knowledge. Well, I'm a writer. I'm a professional writer. I've been a professional writer for 30 years. All I do is I sit around reading these damn books back here, and and <laughs> you know I'm a reader. I'm crazy. So yep. so of course. I yes, I see your books too. So of course I know all those words. I mean, it'd almost be like asking a car mechanic about, you know, where is the carburetor in a 1979 Buick, and they would, you know, they they know that instantly. And what is this? What is this piece of equipment? They know what that is. Where I wouldn't know what that is. So to that degree, a, a regular IQ test is. It's such a mix of things. It's such a a mutt of this, that, and the other that most of these studies do not bother with an IQ test. First of all, they take a long time. Yeah. And they just include so much. Um, Most fluid intelligence tests uh, tend to be uh, visual-spatial. For some reason, I'm not sure exactly why they have zoomed in on that, but um, uh, a lot of them are these. Um, the Ravens matrices is considered the gold standard. That's the one where uh, you have three rows of three, and you see a little triangle, a bigger triangle, a uh, biggest triangle, little circle, bigger circle, biggest circle, little square, bigger square. Oh, what's the last one? <laughs> Got oh, it. it should be a big square. But when they when they move, when you're at the third one, they be instantly become hard enough that, like a little child, uh, a a a a ten year old would start getting really confused. And by the sixth one, it's really pushing you. It's really it's like whoa, what is that? What is, you know, it looks, begins to look like hieroglyphics. There's so much going on that you've, and, and what it takes is it takes careful attention. It takes a sort of systematic, 
careful attention. And you kind of have to go through. And it requires this weird thing of insight, right? So at some point, your mind needs to just go, oh, that's it, right? Mm -hmm. And that is hard to do when it gets hard. And that kind of pattern detection, I mean, when you think about it, that's what a little baby does when it's learning language. Uh, that's what we all do when we're driving and there's snow coming down and it's foggy and we're trying to see the road and like, oh, oh yeah, that, oh, I got to turn right here. It's, it's pattern detection, which is um, really fundamental to intelligence and to making sense of the, of the world. So when you talk about increasing your fluid intelligence by 16%, you use the Raven's matrices. The Raven's. Okay, not an yes. IQ test. Got it. Um, I took an <clears throat> IQ test. I went to uh, Mensa, mm -hmm. and because Mensa gives out free IQ tests, right? Anyone mm -hmm. who wants to join. So I took Mensa thinking, gee, maybe at the end of this, my, <laughs> my IQ will rise enough and I'll be a member. I could join. And... What I was what I was surprised to find was that I I qualified just barely based on my first test. Wow! And yeah, and then three and a half months later, when I took it again, I only went up a point. <laughs> wow! So, so that yeah, it's funny when I did. So it, my my fluid intelligence increased. But, you know, what's interesting when you look at the, when I, when I was looking at the IQ test that Mensa gives, a lot of it was like sort of math, the kind of math I could tell that if I re-studied, if I sat yeah. down for a high school equivalency, a GED uh, prep program, just a simple two-week, like, well, how do you do this and that and that? Right. I would have, I know I would have gone up way more on that Mensa IQ test because there were just a bunch of goofy little math things that I just, you know, I hadn't paid it, you know, since high school who I haven't done that. So, right. And that's one of the problems with IQ tests in general is that there's a testing effect. Like you did it once, now you know it's on the test. So you would go back and if you were going to take it again, you might brush up on your math skills. <laughs> And, get, and certainly, yeah. and certainly, the fact that I went up sixteen percent <clears throat> on the Ravens, you could say, well, well, Dan, maybe you would have gone up sixteen percent if you just took it twice without yeah. having done anything. That's certainly true. So, but the the cat for for you know scientifically though, uh, there have been nearly a hundred of these studies published. Uh, my six year old is coming in, honey. I'm doing a Yes, there Hi she there. is. My, okay. My, that's okay. My six-year-old has done that before, too. Hello. See you later. <laughs> See you later. Okay. <laughs> Go downstairs with Annie. <laughs> um, he's in... Where Where are you? I am Dave, in, where are you? I'm in Canada, Victoria, British Columbia. Hi there. He's in Canada. Say hi. Hi, five. Okay. How far is it? That's many miles away. You need to go downstairs. I'm working. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> How cute. Oh, Lord. So, um, uh, actually, uh, we're going to be uh, enrolling her in a working memory training program uh, through something called CogMed. Ooh, this that's is, exciting. Yeah, um, that's the biggest 
um, you know, we've all heard of Lumosity, yeah. which is this, you know, $15 a month uh, thing for every man. They've got like 40 million people that have signed up for that. I was on a panel with their chief scientist at South by Southwest a couple years ago on brain hacking. Oh, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. you know, uh, really good people. I've been to their labs and all that. They really like I it. have been there, yeah. too. They are very good people. They're working very hard. They want it to work. They want it to help people. Um, Cogmed has more research, published research behind it. It started off as a, a research program. And uh, for people who have like ADHD or uh, are recovering from the effects of chemotherapy or anything like that, uh, it seems like CogMed looks to be the most promising uh, approach. Uh, so, yeah. I, I've i often thought of doing dueling back with my kids there, four and six, and I'm not quite sure it's time yet. I, I am certainly going to do neurofeedback with them once they're eight or so and they've developed a better, like a fully formed basic nervous system. Yes. Uh, so they can just gain you know more ability to, to understand the limits and edges of what they're capable of at a young age. Cool. So they, they twirl around less, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> twirl around cognitively. I mean, they can well, twirl I around mean, all they want you, physically. <laughs> you can absolutely watch kids the, in this early age range as their working memory goes up. It's, it's, it's interesting. They are such remarkable learners at that age. And yet their ability to sit and look at a piece of paper and make sense of that pattern is very low because they're yeah. just so everywhere that they can't attend in that manner. Uh, even though, of course, we all know that they are able to learn new words and think, make sense out of what adults are saying and learn social cues like like. Uh, so amazingly fast. I mean, they're you're never smarter uh, at, at that fundamental level than you are as you know your first year of life. I mean, you're yeah. starting from scratch and gaining a vast body of knowledge with with nothing to base it on. <laughs> the thing that the kids that age seem to be able to do, obviously, if there's a bit of moving stuff on a screen, they're they lock in on it. So yes. I, I have mind you the inner balance heart rate variability training and it teaches you to breathe in slowly and breathe out slowly while you're yes. staring at a screen and change your heart rate and they, they can rock it on the first level they, they immediately turn okay. it to green and they keep it there but it's really funny because once they learn that you say take yeah. a deep breath and most kids just start panting when you tell them to take it. but they actually do a deep breath like the way they learned with feedback so they the loops are so <laughs> fresh for their their brains i i love watching kids That's learn cute. it it's awesome well all right so we're talking about iq tests um, so I, I did, I was concerned about the testing effect and I was trying to tell if my own dual in back experiments had paid off. So I did one form of IQ test. I don't recall which one right now. This was going back like four years, um, maybe three years. Um, but I did one and then I did a, another equivalent style of test where you could match them up on standardized tests to see where you were, yes. but you wouldn't get a testing effect. And my second score was 12 points higher than my first score. Yes. Which was kind of cool. Um, one of my uh, the people in my company with me <clears throat> had uh, 18 points, which is astounding. 
Yes. And again, like how much of that was luck, how much of it was sleep, because you know, your intraday variability of IQ well, varies too, right? Yeah, I mean, again, the only way we know this, I mean, none of us would take any pill sold, uh, whether a pharmaceutical or a dietary supplement, based just on how does it make us feel. Because, you know, if you take a statin drug or an aspirin, well, an aspirin, yeah, you kind of learn, yeah, it makes me, it makes it hurt less. Right. Uh, but... Most pills, most things that we do, we don't know, and it's only based on a large study. And that's where these, you know, hundred or so studies that have been published, and it's been building up so quickly. When I uh, finished my research, I had 75 randomized clinical trials that have been published in peer-reviewed literature that you know, the vast majority showing significant benefits. Um, and in just like uh, eight months, there's been another 25 studies published. It's pretty, it's really uh, gaining uh, speed. So uh, the field is uh, <laughs> on fire. It It is on fire. And, and part of what I'm working on with the Bulletproof Executive is helping people see that there's a bunch of research that they're not going to hear about at the doctor's office yes. about these sorts of things. And that some things that we didn't think were possible using both like the power of data analysis where we couldn't yes. do data collection analysis enough and just the power of feedback tools like dual and back where right away, did I get it right? Did I not get it right? We can do things that you could never do 50 years ago. It was just unthinkable. Absolutely. I think, you know, anyone who uh, is interested in improving their abilities, you know, Lumosity is inexpensive. I think a lot, I know a lot of their games are working memory games. There's a vast literature showing that that is real, that it's beneficial. Uh, but that's just, and, and if you have, you know, for instance, if you have... Uh, uh, if it's someone who's had a traumatic brain injury, uh, if you have a child that you're learning, maybe they, you're concerned that they're ADHD, um, someone who's recovering from uh, radiation chemotherapy from cancer, uh, I think CogMed is a very, you know, there is a lot of research supporting it. Um, some uh, skeptics continue to doubt it, but uh, I think it's, uh, you know, I see studies going on in leading medical, uh, you know, hospitals all around the world. It's really considered a credible approach. Um, but if, uh, in my, for my book, I looked at uh, uh, all kinds of methods. I looked at a physical exercise, which is absolutely probably the single best proved method, uh, just... And one thing that most of these methods that I looked into all have in common is that you've got to be progressively getting better. It's yeah. not enough to just, you know, I've been a jogger like my whole life. Um, I've been a reader my whole life. So me just reading and jogging is not going to move me up yeah. where I joined a boot camp exercise program and really was out there three three mornings a week uh, killing myself just about. And uh, 
I think that contributed as much as uh, the uh, uh, the working memory games. Well, um, it, it increases your BDNF, which is something necessary to increase your brain function, right? Absolutely, and you know, it seems that uh, weight training is strength training is yeah. something that really helps and. What's great about all of these things is they are progressive. As you get stronger, it gets harder, so you just keep going. And it's that gaining process that where the real benefit seems to come in. You know, I think another thing is if, you know, people say, oh, well, I do Sudoku, or, oh, I do crosswords, or I'm, I'm playing Tetris. You know, we all, like here in the, uh, the New Jersey, New York, uh, Connecticut area, uh, um, if you get on a bus or a train, you inevitably walk by someone who's p- playing Tetris on their <laughs> phone, right? Yep. And I just think if that person was just doing a working memory a task, this yeah. would actually be literally making them smarter while they're having some fun. Uh, chess is another game where, it's, it, again, it gets harder as you get better. And it requires a lot of brain power. And uh, you could get a teacher who helps you start learning new strategies and really pushes you to, uh, to grow there. Um, music, learning a musical instrument. I, oh, I should have had my, my lute available here. <laughs> I learned right. to play the Renaissance lute. There's uh, a number of good studies showing that learning to play an instrument is really great. Not just picking up your guitar and playing the old Beatles songs or, you know, the Grateful Dead, but actually learning a new instrument. And again, it's the learning and growing and getting better at something uh, that where the gain really seems to come in. So the the idea of constantly pushing for hormesis, you know, th- this idea of of something was hard, so you had to learn to do it better. It, yes, it's interesting because you're a, a pretty well uh, well traveled brain hacker, because <laughs> you've also tried the Racetam family of nootropics, right? Well, uh, the only uh, 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 drug that mm-hmm. I took, uh, really, aside from coffee. Which, oh yeah, you know, uh, drink more, get smarter. And coffee <laughs> actually has a ridiculous number of benefits. But uh, uh, nicotine, and this will sound very bad to most people. There, he's running away. Don't. Uh, I'll just grab mine while you grab yours. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> no, I well, love it, man. <laughs> I don't. Tell us. I don't smoke. Uh, I'm not a you know a tobacco user, but. Uh, and you know, I don't think it's 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 definitely not healthful tobacco, but nicotine alone as a patch, yes. Or if you want to use the gum, but you know, I, what do you got there? What I is have, this? I have the two milligram lozenges that don't have bad sweeteners in them. Oh wow, which, two milligram. Yeah, it, it absorbs more through the gum. Does that come on? It comes on really fast. I actually break them in half. I use one milligram uh, where you'd put chewing tobacco in the mouth. And Interesting. I really feel it. I, I've used the patches too. They're really good for weight loss too. Well, but, so the, yeah. the the patch, what I found was like I was afraid that I would feel like nauseated, you mm-hmm. know, like like lightheaded and all that. Yeah. And I, I just took the seven milligram patch. I felt 
absolutely nothing. Nothing. Yeah. I couldn't tell that I had it on. It's In subtle. fact, it was beyond subtle. It literally... It was it was not like coffee. It was like nothing. Yeah. And uh, and yet uh, at the end of the day, when I you know was getting mm-hmm. dre- undressed and I went, oh, I wore my patch today. And then I thought and went, oh wow, I had a really productive day. So um, you know, I think uh, it's something that someone should talk to their doctor about. Uh, but it is available over the counter. Uh, and there is a great deal of research. I have an article in the March issue of of uh, Discover Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one that's uh, if you look up my name and nicotine, uh, you'll see it online. That's uh, Dan Hardy nicotine. If you're listening to this, Hurley H U R L E Y Dan Hurley. Did I say it wrong? Hurley. Harley Hurley. I pronounced I it wrong, know. but I know it Hurley, like the surfboard company, right? There you go. <laughs> but um, so uh, nicotine definitely uh, has, you know, the Michael J. Fox Foundation is supporting a study of nicotine for people with Parkinson's. Wow. Because, yeah, because this is how they first started noticing nicotine, uh, because in the 60s, when they were doing all those studies to show how bad it was, they were basically like looking, okay, you're a smoker, you're a non-smoker. And they did these massive studies with, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, Britain did them, the U.S. did them, and they would kind of go through giant uh, data sets. And, yeah, it makes you, your breathing works worse. It gives you lung cancer. It gives you this cancer, the other cancer. It does everything bad for you. It causes heart attacks. And then they went, whoa, wait a minute you have half the risk of developing Parkinson's. <laughs> and wow. they, they Yeah, it kind of freaked them out, and they thought it was a mistake, and then they did more studies, and they've now absolutely concluded that it has some sort of preventive effect on Parkinson's. And even when people who have Parkinson's take nicotine, uh, these, these pilot studies have, have shown a benefit for their movement disorders. And and so, yeah, because there's nicotinic receptors in your brain. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, this is this is awesome. Uh, I, I love it that you're actually using the patch for that. Uh, when, when I've used many smart drugs, the non-stimulating ones, so you can feel coffee, you can feel ProVigil, but the yes. ones that are more like uh, the aniracetams or the paracetam family, you don't really feel it when you take them. But then when you stop taking them, like, wait a minute, I just had to reach for a word, and I haven't reached for a word in a week. So that's funny. Yeah. When, you, when you enhance your performance, it feels so natural, like that's how you yes. should have been, that you notice yes. the lack of enhancement more so than the enhancement, because it's like, it's a glove that just fits. Have you felt cool. this in your own experiments, or is this just me? I definitely felt with the nicotine patch, um... It was, you know, it really took a while because I was doing so many things at once. It was a little hard to figure out, well, which one is really helping me? Um, I mean, for instance, uh, when I would do the exercise, I'd be kind of exhausted uh, afterward. And uh, here she comes again. Okay. (laughs) Look what she made at school. Awesome. Because it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. 
Okay, dear. <laughs> How cute. <laughs> Love you. Okay, we'll see you later. We'll see you later. <laughs> uh, it's, it's evening time for you out in New Jersey, so I, I get it. You'll you'll be off the podcast before bedtime, so that's um, good. So, um, uh, yeah, it was hard to tell what was what, uh, but definitely the first time I noticed it was when I had had a really productive writing day, and I got home, and then when I got undressed, I went, oh, I put on the patch today, because... Yeah. You know, I didn't always remember to put it on, and it really was striking how uh, how my writing just flowed that day, and I hadn't even remembered uh, that I was wearing it. So I don't think it was a placebo. Uh, I think it absolutely had an effect. There's a reason that so many of the world's famous artists and writers are smoking and drinking black coffee for hours on end when they're doing their writing. It, yes. Those are two of the world's oldest smart drugs. Like. <laughs> um, absolutely, positively. And, you know, uh, everything else that's out there, um, you know, the U.S. military would love to find things that could really help uh, pilots, soldiers, uh, because they're routinely in these uh, situations where they cannot go to sleep yeah. and they've got to perform at the highest possible level or they get killed. Uh, so uh, there's the ultimate motivation. And really, nicotine and uh, coffee, it is very hard to find anything that uh, uh, produces a better effect without making you slightly paranoid or delusional bad because there's a lot a lot of these other drugs have weird effects yeah uh they really do and uh uh for instance you know you could give someone speed and they would stay up and be like yeah i'll do it sure but they found that uh it back in vietnam they found absolutely that when you gave those drugs to soldiers uh, they end up turning around and uh, shooting their fellow soldier who's coming back from the latrine. So it's really not a helpful thing. It's something a lot of people don't know, but in World War II, the U.S. and Allies actually set up coffee roasters near the front lines so they could roast coffee beans. That was part of the military strategic supply. And oh, yeah. even like the Civil War and the War for Independence in the U.S., coffee was a major strategic component that they tracked oh, yes. like bullets. Like, oh yes, <laughs> I, that's shocking and cool at the same time. That's crazy. Um, the uh, what what they definitely did not have was uh, another thing that I did is transcranial direct current stimulation, which are, is. Are you trained in mind reading? Because you were talking about military and you talked about TDCS. Like I well, love this. You're you're so on the ball. Okay, tell the, us. <laughs> the TDCS. They've had. I had an article a um, couple months ago. Thank you. I try it. It's good. Thank you. Okay. All right. Excuse me. Yes. Kids, <laughs> Kids. are great. Yep. Okay. So, um, uh, TDCS is the best thing that the military has ever found for improving uh, the ability of soldiers to... Uh, uh, maintain focus for a long time, uh, uh, and and to 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 per persevere at at a difficult, boring task. Uh, 
people, for instance, uh, uh, the the uh, controllers uh, in airports who have to the air control mm-hmm. tower people, uh, they're looking at a computer monitor, and you know people's lives are at stake. But uh, you do that for eight hours, and you get pretty burned out. Yeah. So, and and we all know that. We all know that. You know, when it's it's one thing to be working on a report for an hour, it's another thing to have that report, uh, and it's three in the morning, and you're not done yet, and you've got to hand it in in the morning, and being able to do that accurately with the same level of attention. So TDCS, transcranial direct current stimulation, looks like a major breakthrough. Um, unfortunately, it's only available in research studies. People have been doing it by themselves. and Like, like me. <laughs> you've been doing it by yourself? For, for about, yeah, a little bit more than three years now using the, the yeah. iontophoresis machines. But they have the new wow. video gaming focus device, which is finally consumer grade. I can't make so that, mine work, um, yes. but <laughs> I got one. But I use the old medical grade stuff. Have you, you've tried it yourself. I did it at Harvard's uh, neurostimulation laboratory, and uh, you know I just am too much of a scaredy cat to do it <laughs> on myself because you know it's your brain and it's electricity, and I don't want to see you know it's like it's alive and yeah. bolts of lightning coming out. I know it's extremely low dose. Uh, there's hundreds of studies now that make it look super effective for all kinds of things, including depression and for stroke survivors and uh, improving math ability, language ability, like seemingly everything. It's really striking. I'm trying it out. I I use it. I'm learning to be good at archery. So I go once or twice a week to shoot arrows, and I put electrodes on my head, trying to hide them under a hat. And I'm actually doing stimulation while I'm developing the muscle memory to learn how to target the arrows. The problem is, how do you split test that? I I have no idea how I can prove that it helped or didn't help. You'd need a a study for that. Yeah, I mean, basically, you, you have to have faith in these studies that say that it does... Uh, work. I would. I would wonder though if you're doing it to yourself because you know the placement of it, like here versus here versus here, uh, where on the brain yeah. should it be, is so varied for different conditions and things you're trying to target that I'd be like, I I wouldn't know how to do that. It's there's definitely a black art to it, and I'm. <laughs> I'm sort of looking left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex because okay, that's yes. basically on the forehead above your left eyebrow an inch or two yes. uh, because yes. that's where the most studies have been. But I probably should – I've also tried it over the language processing center over yes. here. And yes. I still think that when people say French or Swedish to me, it sounds like someone chewing gum. I I don't parse the words right, and it's yes. a brainstem issue for me, and it drives me nuts. I'm trying to hack that one, but that, that's been a difficult one for me because the sounds don't yes. enter my brain the way they enter my ear. Yes. So I don't know if electricity is going to fix that, but I'm willing to try it. All right. Let's switch gears for uh, uh, for a minute here because you're known for another book, uh, Diabetes Rising. Yes. You got type 1 diabetes. Yes, I do. How did this happen, and why did you write a book about it? Oh, well, um, type 1 diabetes, you know, how does it happen? Uh, researchers don't know how it happens. Uh there, there is a definite genetic component, 
and most people would as- would assume that it's mostly genetic. In fact, it's mostly not genetic because uh, it runs very weakly in families where type 2 diabetes, you know, the kind that people get when they're overweight and as they get older, um, runs very heavily in families. So actually type 1 is far less genetic than type 2. And uh, my book basically explored uh, why type 1, which most people don't know, type 1 is growing just as fast as type 2 is. So uh, there are children now getting it at six months of age, uh, at one and two, where typically the age used to be like around 11, 12. I got it at age 18. Usually it's during uh, some point in adolescence or just before as sort of the stress of growing puts more stress on your pancreas and then you know finally you kick over and you're diabetic uh, so there's a bunch of things that seem to cause type 1 diabetes uh, lack of exposure to sunshine the vitamin D connection presumably yeah. vitamin D um, but definitely people the farther north you live the more likely you are to develop it uh, the risk in uh, a high sunshine places, you know, you just basically go up Europe, up the United States, and the risk goes up, 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 up. Um, and it goes up more for people with dark skin, right? Uh, yes, it does. So, uh, Which could be uh, vitamin D related because they make less vitamin D. It's absolutely. Sun. Yeah, there's, um, we presume it's vitamin D. I mean, I now take vitamin D. Uh, and and it's sensible to assume that, but it could be something else about the sunshine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's it remains a little mysterious. Uh, there's all sorts of other things going on. Uh, uh, the the same uh, increased height and weight that is leading people to develop type two uh, is also seems to be playing a role with type one. Uh, the exposure to uh, environmental contaminants uh, uh, definitely seems to be playing some kind of role. In, uh, in, in, the, in the, the weird biohacker weird world, world uh, that, I, that I live I, in, okay. I've looked I, at type 1 diabetes and autoimmunity, and since people with type 1 diabetes often get more, more Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's, more celiac more disease, and the other uh, autoimmune diseases, yes. I'm looking at environmental yeah. factors that trigger autoimmune attacks on the different parts of the body yes i've even zoomed in on some common ones just because i have enough autoimmune conditions against my nervous system and against my joints and my brain and things like that they're all manageable and hackable but i i suspect that's part of it did you how far into your book i haven't read your diabetes book yet but i'm now interested how far into the The autoimmune is yeah the autoimmune is definitely a part of it and um there's there's this thing called the hygiene hypothesis Mm -hmm that the environment that we live in now is so clean and free of exposure to the pathogens that we all grew up with. So a hundred years ago, almost everybody, uh, or 150 years ago, certainly, basically everybody had intestinal worms, right? And we were exposed to all sorts of things that for the... uh, unfortunately killed a lot of people so you generally speaking 
would say, isn't it great that we've made our world nice and healthy and clean? Sure, that sounds great, except the catch is that our immune system was designed to fight all those things. And without all those things, it seems like our immune system, the, the theory is, and there's a lot of research into this, that you know, your immune system goes a little crazy, goes a little hyper because it doesn't have anything to attack. So it starts attacking the body. And one of the things it appears to possibly attack is the pancreas resulting in type 1. So, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, during my research, there's a, a, a great deal of type 1 diabetes up in the Boston suburbs. And uh, I went to this one town where there's a really remarkable uh, increase. And it happens to actually be located very near to Thoreau's Walden Pond. Mm-hmm. And, and sitting there at Walden Pond, like I, I went by and visited. And I went, wow, so all of these things that are increasing diabetes basically did not exist when Thoreau was around. And another one of them is just being outside more because he was outside so much that even though there's less sun exposure up in the Boston area compared to Miami, uh, you're outside so much that you're getting enough vitamin D. And there weren't environmental contaminants. Uh, He certainly was exposed to... The usual pathogens, in fact, the poor guy died of tuberculosis. Uh, so, uh, uh, there's, there's a, and people were far thinner back then. So, all of these things that are going on in our modern world, uh, right there on Walden Pond, uh, you could see that, that people did not have to deal with that. I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I think I'm going to have to read your diabetes book too. It, it's it's yeah. fascinating to see what's triggering all of this. And the hygiene hypothesis is one where I looked at my own gut issues. I actually yes. took pig whipworm eggs in order to uh, give myself a parasite. I considered doing that. I was ready to order them. And uh, yeah, there's all these studies actually. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really funny that you say that because there's studies. Uh, they've been doing it in animals, and they are just starting it in humans. It's, you know, there are uh, things with the immune system and that kind of, you know, taking taking intestinal parasites to drink that down that seem crazy to us. But then, you know, you have to remember that uh, 150 years ago, everyone knew that bloodletting was a great way to treat a disease and would have thought that surgery was like murder. I mean, when people started doing surgery, they were thought to be like just the side of witches and warlocks. Yeah, so there's just so much that... And there's, uh, in fact they've been able to cure a version of uh, uh, Crohn's disease in some people by having them take a pill that has the poop of another person who is healthy, which is very freaky. Fecal transplants are sort of Oh my God. It's it's incredible, but... I would I would do it, but I don't know whose poop I want. So (laughs) that seems like an open question. (laughs) I don't want to find out. <laughs> yeah, same problem here. 
<laughs> it's been fascinating, Dan, to be able to talk about such a wide range of, of topics. Uh, you are, as far as I can tell, an old school biohacker, and <laughs> you've looked at all these different aspects of you know, the human body and what it can do and why it does what it does. And I, I really yes. appreciate your work. It, it's really cool. Great. Well, I hope uh, people, you know, it's uh, the book is Smarter, uh, The New Science of Building Brain Power. It's out there on Amazon and in your local bookstore and uh, oh, cool. go support the local bookstore. <laughs> we'll include a link to it so people can find awesome. the name and all that. And I agree, Great. support your local bookstore. And there's a question that everyone yes. answers on the podcast at the end. What? Your top three recommendations for people who want to perform better throughout everything in life. So it doesn't have to be from any of your books, but the wisdom yes. you've accumulated in all of your studies and all of your learnings, top three most important thing for someone who just wants to perform as well as they can. The main thing that I found out from doing all of these things is you have to spend time doing things you suck at. Yes. <laughs> and by that, what I mean is when I learned to play the lute, when I joined, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent, like, guitar player. I used to have a, be in a band and such. But learning to play the lute was, you know, it's a little humiliating because <laughs> you really immediately don't know what you're doing. And joining this boot camp exercise uh, class, I have never been a jock. This was like military style exercise. And everybody in this group is a fanatic. So I'm there like Mr. Goofball. Uh, trying to keep up and uh, totally unable to keep up. And when I'm doing these working memory things, I tried mindfulness meditation, uh, which is another thing. Yeah. And all of these things, you know, you are submitting yourself to doing something that you're not good at. And most of us, uh, as we, you know, most adults like to do things that they're great at. And we take a lot of pride in achieving some, you know, mastery over something. And I think the fun uh, part here, and it doesn't have to be humiliating, it can be fun. I've personally found it really, like, inspiring and, you know, I felt more alive because I was doing all these things that I thought I couldn't do and that didn't seem like my kind of thing. And... It's really enlivening to to open yourself up to that kind of new experience and dive into something that is challenging and uh, makes you feel like a beginner again. Wow. So, so that's one. We've got two yeah. more. Or was that two? Uh, well, you know, that's, I mean, I think that's where all of these things that I did. So, I, you know, I would encourage people to try a challenging physical thing. Uh, physical exercise thing that they've never done before to increase their fitness level. I would encourage people to try some of these working memory games, whether they go at SoakYourHead.com, Lumosity, Cogmed. Uh, you, you could read other ones that I describe in the book. Sure. Um, and uh, learning a musical instrument, you know, is really fun and cool. And even if you think you're terrible... You know, getting, uh, and I think it should be, you know, not just, again, not just picking up your old instrument and doing it again, 
but actually taking a lesson like you did back when you were nine years old and you know the the the, the teacher is there uh, doing these things none of them are directly related to your work but they all will pay off and they're all go they're going to bring a level of enthusiasm back to you and you know these are the things that when we were young everything we did was new and exciting and like we had never done it before and uh, I think uh, everybody needs some of that in their life no matter how old they are that is fantastic thank yeah. you thank you for that kind of <laughs> advice this is absolutely it's one of the reasons people listen to the podcast uh, so you've been just uh, an amazing interview totally appreciate your time and uh, have have an awesome evening uh, with your little okay. girl okay <laughs> now I'll go uh, eat the the piece of uh, cookie that she she made for me The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.